and come and we will not be married so Beck and I were getting married in a few months I don't know how many months it is that Beck you didn't carry it July anyway, a few months and so what happened when we get married is we won't be here but we would, we would stand at the front and then uh, Keith will stand there and then he will read out the vows and our friends and family and the church and all of that will sit and they will hear the vows and that is a covenant being made between Bex and myself to love each other and to, to honour each other and to serve each other and all of that stuff. So that's kind of what happens in a covenant. Now throughout the history of God's dealing with his people, he works through covenants. Uh, so he, he promises to bless his people and they promise to obey. And that's what God did with the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Mostly probably know the story of the Israelites coming out of the Exodus, came out of slavery, and God makes a covenant with them, and they promise to obey him. And normally with a covenant, if they disobey, there's a punishment for it. Uh, some kind of a thing that has to happen to those who disobey the covenant. So in Leviticus, God says to his people, if in spite of these things you do not accept my correction, but continue to be hostile towards me, I myself will be hostile towards you, and I will afflict you for your sins seven times over, and I will be the sword on you and bend you for the breaking of the covenant. And that's the reason that the Israelites are rebuilding their walls in the first place. So if you remember back from Nehemiah, they come back to the city, they've been given permission to rebuild the wall. And the reason they had to do that was because they left, that uh, they disobeyed God and were put into exile some 70 odd years before. And that's why they had to come and build the walls, because they'd been in exile, the walls had fallen down, and now they come back. And as the people come back in the day of Nehemiah, they build the wall, and then they come. And they make a new commitment to God to live for Him in what is basically holiness and obedience to the Lord, because the law of God is an obedient, uh, a holiness, uh, a, a, a thing of holiness to the people of Israel. And so we are still in a covenant today. We have a different covenant, but we have the new covenant. So if you heard the, the old covenant and the new covenant. We have a new covenant that comes from Jesus. So Jesus dies on the cross and he sets up a covenant that we are now able to apply his grace. But the difference is now that in Jesus, when he dies, he takes the punishment of the covenant, curse. So he did he is punished for the disobedience that we would always do in the future. And he disobedience we made towards God. And he also obeys the covenant fully and perfectly in his life. So he obeys the Old Testament law fully in his life. And so it's not the same situation for us. We don't get cursed by God and we drink it. Because Jesus already has been. We are in his grace. But it's not based on the laws and the rules and all of that stuff. It's based on what Jesus has done. We're blessed because of his obedience, his curse of our sin. But we're still called to the holiness. And I believe that actually it was really interesting in the worship. Uh, God was speaking to us about his grace, his mercy, his love. And I think there's a reason for that because we have to start in our holiness from his grace. And for him, and who he's made us to be. 
So Jack Hayford says, he says this, by the standards of the highest court in the universe, he regards you as holy when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. God's word also gets specific about holiness in practice. God wants us to get on with lives that are lived holily. That's the word he uses, I don't know if that's the word. Lives in uh, holily, lives in which we practice holiness in thought and conduct. This implies growth. It's as if we grow into holiness that Jesus has provided for us. Once we grasp this, we are on our way to understanding, be holy as he is holy in a new way. So basically, God calls us to be holy, as he did with the Israelites, but he doesn't call us to obey rules and laws like them. He calls us to start with his grace, and we've been made us to be. Our holiness begins with him. And being holy really is just becoming more like him, and becoming more of what he's already made us to be. He made us holy, and as we live lives and breathe us in holiness, we become more like him. So he's just straight through us, and that's his call on the church, to be a holy people. It was for Israel. They disobeyed, they were punished, they were kicked out of their land, but they, all of the Old Testament pointed to the coming of Jesus. It would fulfill that law and offer us holiness from Him. So we don't be careful when we interpret passages like Nehemiah and particularly related to the law because it doesn't apply just this is the law and this is how we live as Christians, but there are things that we can learn. It still requires us to be holy. In our name. Still requires us to live in certain ways to please him. But I really want to get, like, get it across to people. Everything I say from now on, I'm going to take some principles from Nehemiah. Always starting with his grace. Always starting with who he made us to be. Always starting with we are holy in him. It's not laws that we have to obey like they did. They have to obey the laws in the Old Testament. They have to obey the laws that we committed themselves to. That was, that was part of being in the nation of Israel. That was the laws of their hand. We don't obey the law like that. It comes from the grace of God. It comes from who we are in Christ. And I want to make that clear because I don't want people to misunderstand some of the things that I'm going to say and the principles for living and holy life and things we can learn from the passage. Grace is an excuse to sin, but it's our starting point in holy living. I find it helpful to see holiness as being different. The God is holy and is different. We are holy, so we're different from the world around us. It's a call to step out and different in a, in a world that opposes God and his way and his thinking. So starting with grace, knowing that we don't live in Israel, we're not under the law in the same way they were, but we can learn from it. What can we see from what they did and what they committed themselves to in their mind today? What can we learn about being holy and living in holy ways that please God? I'll tell you. There's four things that they did, and they're really, really practical. This is the other thing about what's happening here. They're really, really practical ways of living. Like, we read through the Old Testament, and it, 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 it seems out of, out of the way, away from what's different to us. Really practical. When they, when they come before God in their mind and they commit to certain laws, and no doubt they would commit to all the Old Testament laws, recommit to living their lives that way. 
But some really practical things that come out that really apply to us where we are in our world. Because there's nothing new under the sun. So firstly, it gives us openness in their relationships with one another. More specifically in their relationships of, of marriage and so the, 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 those kinds of relationships. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us but to take their daughters for our sons, it says in verse 30. So there was always a fair ancient Israel from the surrounding nations. Um, it was often military, but there was a little deceptive threat that often came in, which was intermarriage. Because what would happen is, in Israel, the, the Jewish men would marry pagan wives, non-Jewish wives, people outside of God's chosen people of Israel. And those wives would bring in their gods with them. And then the Jewish men would, would uh, worship those gods. So remember Solomon? He was king of Israel, he was the wisest man he ever lived. He was more wise to other people than he was to himself. And he took a lot of wives after himself and he started to worship their gods. And then, and then that affected the nation. But Paul says it's sufficient in 1 Corinthians 6 14 do not be yoked together with unbelievers. But what the righteousness of wickedness have in common, or what fellowship does light have with darkness, what harmony is there between Christ and the Bible, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So, particularly to the younger people in the room, we can all learn principles from this, but I want to say, marry and be with Christians. If you're going to get married, some people are called to be married, some people are called to be single. If you can get married, whatever it is in your power to do so, Married Christians. There is more to this than, than it seems to be. It, it, we need to be holy in our relationships for the sake of our children, for the sake of um, of our families. How do you how do you bring up children and one of you is a Christian and one of you isn't? One of you live in my biblical values and one of you isn't. How do you solve things when one of you is thinking biblically and one of you isn't? Really important for our relationships to be kept. Feeling to God. I am. Um, I have a friend who was baptized um, a few years back in a pool like this. She was a friend of mine, she was a Christian, the parents were both Christians, I think. The granddad was a really, like, really old fashioned, like, really strong man of God, like, real, kind of big, strong Scottish Christian guy, like, um, he was, could be really scared actually, he, he was a big guy. Anyway, she got baptized, she was a believer, and started out on a Christian, and she kind of walked away from God. Um, it's my advice to us, by the way, listening, it's really important for, for those of you to hear it. Um, really important to keep our families connected by being with people who are Christians. And some of us aren't, we're already married, we're already in relationships. People are Christians, and God works in that. I'm not saying to go away and kind of end that or whatever. Like, please don't take that up. That's what I'm saying. But it's really important to keep our families from God's will to be married and relating 
closely like that relationship to people who risk for the sake of the next generation in our families and all the rest of it. Really important. I feel quite happy preaching it because I've seen it. People say, well, we become Christian when we marry them, but it doesn't always happen. And then it's a difficult situation. But it can't be on that to all of us as well because we live in a culture where relationships are not. That I put down in my notes that they have confused you. I don't think this world we live in does have confusion on relationships. It has a view on relationships that isn't the same as ours and what the Bible teaches. Acceptance of things like sleeping together outside of marriage and homosexuality and pornography. Um, it's easy for it to slip into our, our thinking as believers. I think God really cares about our holiness and how we think about these things, whether we're married or single or any of that stuff. To stand up and be different before God, to be holy in a culture where the ethics of that culture are different to ours and infect our thinking. I've had so many discussions with Christians who, who um, think differently about some of these issues, and it just seems to be a watering down of. Of God's call to be a holy and different people. We're scared of being judgmental or we're scared of being rejected or maybe we've just been pastoral and we care about people and we don't want to make it look like we don't like them or and I only see Christians who are holding towards certain groups of people like gay people or people who are sleeping together or whatever and we see that and we think we don't want to be like them and so we water down our holiness a little bit, we water down our, our viewpoint, we water down how we think. But God calls us to be holy, to think differently, to speak differently, to see things differently, according to the word. Set our minds on things above. That's what they commit themselves to in their minds. They said, We're not going to do this, we're not going to walk down our people by taking wives and husbands from other nations to bring in their gods and their ideas. We're going to commit ourselves to being holy as a people. We always commit themselves to keeping their day holy. So, when the neighboring people bring merchandise and pain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any other holy day. They're committed to keeping a holy day. Well, let me explain this out because people have an idea of what Sabbath keeping means. Have you ever met Christians who are kind of like, you don't do anything on the Sabbath? The only sinners go to the cinema you know, on the Sabbath. Remember when you became a Christian, when she was in her teens, she had only sinners go to the cinema. And all these things on the Sabbath, you just go to church in the morning and you read your Bible, talk about God in the afternoon, and you go to church in the evening. That's not quite how it works. But, um, but the Israelites have been slaves. So, as a nation of slaves, they wouldn't have had any day off. They were slaves, they had to work hard labour continuously. So, when they come out of slavery, God gives them a day dedicated to rest, dedicated to Him. So they can stop working, devote themselves to him, devote themselves to each other. Not time to be back in the village schools, 
Jesus said the Sabbath is good, man, man is not for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is given to us, basically the principles of our destiny, that the creation of the world, so that we can rest. Now in the New Testament, Hebrews 4, 11, 1 to 11, it talks about the Sabbath as our rest in Christ. If you're a Christian, every day is Sabbath. Even when you're in work, whoop. Every day is Sabbath. You are a rest in Christ, rest in your works. As I said at the start, none of this is about works that please God, it's that for our salvation, for our grace. We are resting in Christ. Every day is Sabbath. But it does tell us that we need to have a day of rest. We need to have a day where we stop doing stuff and we just rest. We don't work, we don't get involved in church stuff, we just rest. Time off. Do whatever. Be with family, be with friends. Do your hobbies. It also teaches us that we need a day. Sometimes the same day we have a blessing to Sabbaths in our culture, Saturday or Sunday. A day where we can spend time with each other, believers, with God, to worship and answer for us. It's Sunday. It's the most Christians, it's Sunday. Sunday isn't. Some meet on Saturday and other days. For us, it's Sunday. Time we come together as believers to be with God. And that's what Israel committed themselves to. And that's what we commit ourselves to, is, is having time for rest. We have to rest. If we don't rest, we get stressed out, we get sick. If we don't spend time with God and we love the Christians, we get spiritually dry and hard and sick. Time to rest. It's not a rule as such that people that can't come on Sundays, the people that work, have other things on. It's not a rule if you can't come on a Sunday and you can because you can't come to church. It's for us to have time with each other and with God. And if people can't make it that day, maybe there's other times that we can have that for them. But it's a principle of His grace to us to serve Him and know Him, spend time with Him, and be blessed by Him, be encouraged by Him, be really the worship before Him speaking to us about. And to learn about, about choosing us, just hit my heart again and know that truth and just the back of love. And that's what it's for. It's to hear him speak with word also by the Spirit. But they also commit themselves, the third one, to honouring the world they were in. Every Sabbath year, Sabbath year, we will forego the land and cancel the debts. So they had a rule again, a law in Israel. Every seventh year, it was called the Sabbath year, it was to keep the land rest. So they had a Sabbath day for their own rest, and they had a Sabbath year for the land's rest. The physical world they lived in, God cared about it. The plant life, the animal life, they were given the Sabbath year and Part of them being holy and committing themselves to God, committing themselves to care for the land that God had given them. He'd given them a specific land, a slip of land outside of Wales, we call Israel or Palestine or whatever. But we are the church. We are in the whole world and we are to care for the world God's given us. 
because he cares about the physical world. Remember, about the creation, getting out of the knees, commandment to care for the world. That's his call on us. That actually what we do with our our sort of our cars and our recycling all that. It sounds like kind of teaching a bit of environmental message now, but it's actually a biblical message. Because we need to care for what God's given us, the animal life. We need to recycle, we need to we need to not drive our car so much. It's actually a holy thing. And we Christians, we yeah, evangelical Christians, we don't talk about it much because it sounds like a kind of political message, an environmental message, but it's actually a biblical message. Caring for the world, the physical world that we've been given. And I care quite passionately about this actually, like, you know, recycling island and not driving the car so much and driving it this morning I can walk. I remember when we've been stressed to New Mexico a few times and and I walked into the little, we had little squares to tell you about the animals and where they're from. And so many of them say endangered. Um, and there's different kinds, and there's a red one that's like really endangered. And I've said a few times that like, the worst people, the worst creatures on this planet are human beings. But most of those creatures are maybe extinct because of what we've done, their environment, or consumers, or whatever. God cares about the animals and it, when Jesus comes back, he restores the world. He doesn't just restore us, he restores the world, animal life, plant life, all of it. And he asks us to care for that. So in our day to day lives, it's going to be so much different for all of us. But how we treat the world we live in is a holy thing for God. And it's one of the things we really forget. Quite easy to say, oh, we need to be holy in our relationships and marry Christians and don't have sex before you marry. We sort of know that, we know about this thing and something. We don't always think about this one. How we treat the world God's given us. And it's also practical about working on it as well for the people. Because they leave the land fallow once every seventh year, and then the seeds would grow up on their own. And the poorest people would come and take the food and the food and they'd eat it. So it gave provision of food for the poorest in their nation. And it shocks me how much we throw away. Um, when there's people need food, even homeless people just you know, put food in our bins and people who need it. And it, it, it just, it, it's just not God's heart. His heart is for the world and it's for the poorest and the neediest. And, and it's a holy thing. It's a part of holiness. It's to treat what we live in, the people in it, the poorest in it, in a way that it's pleasing to God. I, mean, I, I, I care about that so much, and, and I'm always worried about preaching it because it does sound political, but it, it isn't. It's just God's heart. It really is God's heart. But they also provided for, and this is the this is the last one. They provided for the work of the ministry as well. It's the longest bit. I'm not going to read it all. So we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. The bread set out on the table, the regular grain offerings and the bird offerings, the offerings on the Sabbath, the new moon feasts and the appointed festivals, the holy offerings, the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, and all the duties of the house of God. So, for people in their day, 
it may commit himself to supporting the work of the priests on the temple and the ministry. And it was then the Lord governing this of Israel, how they, how they, how they divided it for the temple. And there was various laws in place for those that could afford more and those that could afford less. So if you can't bring a, a lamb or a goat, you bring a pigeon or a or so there's division for that. This is about people gave what they could afford to give, they gave what they were able to give for the service of the temple, for the service of the priest. We don't have a temple and we don't have a feast. The New Testament's clear that that's fulfilled in Jesus. So what do we have today? Well, we are feasts. We are a holy priesthood and a living temple. The church is the temple. This building is nice it is not a temple. It's not the house of God. We are the house of God. We are feasts of God. When you give your work into your money, your provision, your resources into the work ministry, it's about giving the resources into the work of the church, of people, you and me. God blesses that. This isn't a money grab for you because it's, you know, again, it, it, it's a grace statement. The New Testament makes clear always about giving as you as you feel led to give. But it is about giving our money. I was more time into the work of the church, of the ministry. That was important for them and important. God loves a cheerful giver. Well, that verse is a great verse. Loves a cheerful giver. Smile. And you put your money in. As you give the time. It's great. So God's people recommitted themselves to holy, holiness, to living as holy people. Merely practical. Family, religion, church, faith, the world, their money, their finance, their time. And it's called God wants to display Christ and His holiness in our lives. And please, I'm saying again as we finish, please don't go away with this as a list of rules. Take, I've given my money, take, I've recycled today, take, I've, I've, uh, I've, 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 I'm in a relationship with someone, take, I've, you know, whatever, I've, I've had my Sabbath today. It's not about that. You don't want to come and say, we need not to follow rules and give you all the rules to follow. It's not about that. But these are just practical things, and there's so much more that practical things that we can do to live moments before God to start displaying and get different the world of who He is and who we are as a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy temple, a living temple. And God gives us grace for that. He will us as we do that. He I'm supposed to be there. So I'll say that's okay. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you that you have made us holy in Christ. Thank you we are holy people, holy priesthood, holy temple. Thank you that we're not under the law like the Israelites and Israelites today, but thank you that you help us to live a holy life. We pray that you will just convict to our hearts again things that have been said about areas of our lives, our relationships, or whatever. 
lot of money and all time and all things. Pray again that you'll just bring us to a place where we can say we want to be different, we want to be holy, we want to live in this way. You bless us as we go by your grace to live for you. Thank you that it's all grace, it's all grace from you. Free us to live for you holy lives by your grace.